Don't give your freedom away. Part two is the title of this message. As I said this last week, I used this quote from FDR. We too born to freedom and believing in freedom are willing to fight to maintain our freedom. And I think that goes way beyond our borders. It doesn't matter to me what our politics are when people's freedom is really being encringed upon. It's like that attack in Syria. I don't know how you see that about sending Tomahawk missiles or whatever, but man, when you see them pictures of them little kids being gassed without poison gas, it's just about too much to take. But that's the way we Americans are. I think sometimes we, we, we almost see ourselves as watchdogs of the entire world, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's pretty much the way it is. And we've been involved in some things around the world that I know a lot of Americans say we ought to just stay home. But I don't know. I think that's a question we each have to answer in our own heart. Freedom is something so precious to us Americans that we'll, we will continue to fight for it. But the transition changes when we come into the kingdom because Christ has given us this tremendous amount of freedom and there are certain things and enemies that try to take that freedom in Christ away from us. And that was Paul's battle cry in the entire book of Galatians. Don't, don't give your freedom away. The hallmark of being a Christian is freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. The Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we talked about this last week, and there was a three-series uh, message. This was, uh, the first one was last week, and this one is the second. The book of Galatians is about freedom. In the New Testament, Paul mentions three subtle traps that cause us to lose our joy and our freedom in Christian life. They are still around today, and they are alive and well. Last week, we looked at the first one, which is beware of becoming a perfectionist, Galatians 3, 1 and 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you after begging, beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain perfection by human effort? Paul says, you guys have been conned. You've been duped. Somebody sold you a bill of goods. And so the first trap is perfectionism. The second trap is uh, Beware of becoming a legalist. A perfectionist is somebody who is trying to please God by being perfect. And a legalist, measuring my maturity by the number of rules that I keep. Many people think God sits in heaven with his giant scales. And on one side are the scalers of things that you do good and the other are not so good. And some believe that if your good side is a lot better than the bad, that that God will like you, and if he doesn't, he doesn't. Don't be a legalist. That's our big idea today. He doesn't measure that, so to speak. We love to have do's and don'ts. And I think if we're honest, all of us have a, a little list of do's and don'ts. We all have our no-no group. But here's the problem with that. None of our lists line up or measure up or agree with the other ones probably. It's like somebody that says, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or hang around with women that do. <laughs> Some say, well, I don't do anything. One group says, we, we don't believe in wearing makeup. We just think a woman's natural beauty is the way it should be. 
Another group says, it's all right to wear makeup, but you can't dance. Another group says, it's okay to dance, but you can't smoke. Another one says, you can't smoke, but you can't go to movies or play cards. You'd be amazed in church world how many places you find these. They're not so much here because we um, are pretty flexible here, if you want to use that word. I think there's a lot of freedom at Crossroads. That's, that's why I love that so much. And, it's, and I'll guarantee you, folks, it's not everywhere. Maybe some of you have come out of that system. Here's another thing that I found within the context of the kingdom. There are some groups that think if you have too much fun, there's something wrong with you. You ever been around anybody like that? Life is supposed to be serious. Church is supposed to be serious 100% of the time. I have had people tell me that. There's no place for laughter in the church. There's no place for clowning around in the church. Oh, my goodness, people. I, I, it's like I, I said a, a, a thousand times. I see what we're doing here this morning. This is God's living room. He has invited you in here to be his family. Now, I don't know what your family's like at Thanksgiving and Christmas and other holidays where you get together, but most families is not stiff and sitting around. The only problem is today... Here's what everybody under 80 is doing. They text each other across the room. I, I don't get that. But anyhow, the communication's kind of been lost. But nonetheless, if, if this is God's family and this is the time where we meet, I, I, think, it, I think it ought to be enjoyable. But this is just my, that's my opinion. I guess, you know, we're members of the Too Much Fun Club, if that's so, count me in. Everybody's got rules a list of rules and regulations. Sometimes they tie us down. I found some stuff. I found th there's, there's three forms of legalism. Legalism chokes, it strangles, it kills. It, it chokes the life out of things because the joy is all gone. All that matters is if we follow this, this set of rules. The first form of legalism involves abstracting the law of God from its original context. Some people seem to be preoccupied in the Christian life with observing rules and regulations. And that's what they think the faith is. It has nothing to do with going out and serving and having compassion and giving yourself away. All it has to do was I follow these rules and that's the way that it is. God certainly cares about following his commandments, yet there is more to the story than that that we can't forget. God gave laws such as the Ten Commandments in the context of the covenant with Israel. God was gracious. He redeemed his people. He got them out of slavery in Egypt, and he entered to this loving relationship with Israel. Only after the grace-based relationship was established did God begin to define laws that are pleasing to him. There's a lot of laws in Leviticus if you read that. The legalist isolates the law from, from the God who gave the law. The legalist doesn't so much seek God and Christ and listens to the Holy Spirit. They concentrate on that list of laws that, that they have come in. And they believe that God takes great pleasure out of us just following this simple rules. But if that be the case, 
you, you, you've really missed the point because there's no love, joy, life, or passion. It's, it's, it's mechanical. It's going through the motion. Do, 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 do. And, that's, and that's, that's pretty much, that's how they see it. The second form of legalism divorces the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. That's kind of confusing. It's almost like the first one, but it's a little different in that sense. So how does one keep the letter of the law and violate the spirit? It'd be like this. I don't even know if there is a minimum speed on 41. Do you know, Jay, is there a minimum speed limit on 41? I didn't think so. Let's say the, median, the minimum speed limit's 40. So this person that abides by this, in his mind, he has to drive 40 regardless of what it is. Well, let's say we get an ice storm, and people on 41 are either pulled off or trying to, 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 to go real slow, maybe even down to 20. But because this guy has set in his mind that he's going to drive 40, he'll continue to drive 40 even though it might put himself or others in danger. That is the problem. Although he appears to the external observer as one who is scrupulous in his civil obedience, his obedience is only external and he doesn't care about what the law is actually all about. Speed limits are to keep us safe. That is the point. And then the third one, third form of legalism, adds our own rules to God's law and treats them as divine. It's the most common and it's the most deadly. They have taken God's law and added their own spin on it, if you will. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees at this very point saying, you teach humans traditions as if they were the word of God. We have no right to heap up restrictions on people where he has no stated restriction. Churches have their own policies, and, and sometimes they, they, they change them or they make them fit what they say. And they're, they're not in the Bible, but anyhow, for instance, the Bible says nothing about eating donuts or drinking coffee in church. Sitting at tables instead of pews, the clothes you wear to church. It's what I've said from the beginning. I don't care what, care what you wear. I just want you covered. <laughs> but, but do you see what I'm saying in this? Each church can regulate its own policies. But when we use human policies to bring a conscious in an ultimate way and make such policies determination of one's salvation, and then we get awful close to blasphemy because what, what we're saying is Christ, in Christ's freedom is not enough. You have to do what we say. It's, it's like I've used different illustrations of uh, the guy. Then uh, this actually happened was he said, he said, don't wear belt buckles like this one. And if you do, we're going to kick you out of the church. Because once you walk in a church and women see this belt buckle, they're going to avert their gaze to your metal. Well, all you'd see on mine is a little gut sticking out. That's the problem. But nonetheless, that, that is legalism. So I, it's, just, it's just bizarre to me that people come up with those rules. It's like I said last week. Another guy said in the church, if your wife gets out of line, you better take that old girl off your, or across your, your legs and give her a beating. 
I doubt if anybody did that this week because I don't see busted noses or eye, black eyes or anything like that. But it's, that's what I'm saying. And, and here's the crazy part about that. People will get to the point to say, if you go to heaven, you have to do this. Boy, that, and I've heard it before. I've had people actually come out and say, you have to do this certain thing or you're out. That, and that's, this is the worst form of legalism there is. It, it mis, misrepresents Christ. We, we're not the gatekeepers. You don't know how many people have asked me, do you think that person's in heaven? I can't say that. Now, if that Christ is evident in their life and they've been living a godly life, and I, and I know that they, yeah, but there are some people that, that's pretty borderline that, excuse me for saying this, but they're just going to make it by the skin of their teeth because they, they gave their heart to Christ. They, they didn't change much after that. And a lot of people will argue with that definition, but none, nonetheless, the gospel calls people to repentance and holiness and godliness. And because of that, the world finds the gospel offensive. But woe to us if we add or take any way, thing away from that. You know why people are burning in hell at this very minute? They might have been hideous people. They might have been child molesters. They may, they may have killed somebody. But that's not why they're there. They're there because they rejected Christ. They rejected the salvation that Christ offers. They didn't give their heart to Jesus, so to speak. That's why they're there. So people go to heaven because they've given their life to Christ, and they go to hell because they haven't. That's real simple to me. I can't add anything else to that. So who are we to add these other things, these legalism issues upon that to say, you wear a belt buckle like this, you're not going to heaven. If you don't beat your wife, you're not going to heaven. Absurd as that sounds, you can't believe the places where, where things like that are happening. And that's what Paul is fighting with the Galatians because those Judaizers come in and brought a whole list of rules and regs and saying, if you want to know God, if you want to experience the glories of heaven, you have to follow these rules or you're out. Galatians 4, 8 through 10. Now that you know God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Paul couldn't believe it. He brought freedom. They come out, now they're going back. Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? And what he's saying, do you want to live your life miserable 24-7? Knowing you can't keep all of these regulations and rules, so you've got this guilt hanging over you all the time. Paul's saying you forfeited your freedom. Jesus set you free. You can't work your way to heaven. Rules and regs and rituals tie you down. You can't do enough work to earn or buy salvation. Why would anybody want to do that? That's the trap of legalism. Romans 10, 3 and 4. They are trying to make themselves good enough to gain God's favor by keeping laws and custom, but that is not God's way of salvation. They don't understand that Christ gives to those who trust him everything they're trying to get by keeping his laws. Christ ends all of that. In Jesus' day... It was a very legalistic, rigid society. No society was more controlled. 
And when I think about that, I, it, it, it's even worse than Afghanistan was when the Taliban was in complete control. Did you realize in those days, and there are probably some places in the world still like that, if a woman is walking down the street unescorted, they can stop and beat her. It, and that's just the way that it was and is in some places. In the New Testament, Palestine, there were rules and spiritual policemen of that day that, that you've heard this word, Pharisees. They went around with clipboards checking on everybody. They were asking questions, asking people where they stood. They were legalistic. They were judgmental. They were critical. And they were intolerant. As much their eyes were everywhere. They was always watching. It's, it's kind of like the old KGB in, in Russia or now the FSB. Um, so Jesus went to the Pharisees and he said this. Paraphrase. You phonies, you make up rules that even yourself can't keep. That's not what God wants. God wants relationships, not rules. That's what counts in the Christian life. He says, beware of legalism. And then there's a story in Luke 13, 10. talks about how Jesus one time on the Sabbath healed a woman. The Pharisees got, went crazy about it, and they said, why couldn't you heal her on Monday or Tuesday, any day but the Sabbath? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I, I don't know if you, 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 you realize the implications of the Sabbath. So they prepare your, they, you prepare your food the night before, and at sundown, you, you start the Sabbath, and it goes to the next day. But during that time, you can't turn a tap. You can't cook. Your food's already there. You go eat it, whatever. You can't, you can't do anything. So I was in a synagogue one time, and I asked the rabbi. Of course, I'm always asking questions that are off the wall usually. I said, okay, rabbi, if, if you are in your house on the Sabbath, and your kitchen sink line to the cold water comes undone or bust, and your kitchen is being flooded. Can you turn that water off? He said, absolutely not. That's doing something on the Sabbath. I said, well, what would you do? He said, I would go to my neighbor's house and explain my situation and have my neighbor come over and shut the water off. This is real. This is... So this was the kind of world that Paul was talking about with, with uh, that's legalism. And in this story, he heals this woman. And here's the point that Jesus wanted to make. He healed the lady on the Sabbath because he wanted to make a point. And what was the point? That people are a lot more important than policies. That relationships are a lot more important than rules. And those of you that just went through one-on-one and those of you who have taken that, we, that is part of that issue that at Crossroads, we operate on re- relationships and not rules. That is the point with that. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Here's kind of a visual of what we're talking about from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. This clip shows you a little bit of what we're talking about. Tell us again about the kingdom. Is there anything else? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell all your belongings and give the money to the poor. Provide for yourselves purses that don't wear out and save your riches in heaven where they will never decrease because no thief can get to them and no moth can destroy them. For your heart will always be where your riches are. 
Woman, you are free from your sickness. in which we should work. So come on one of those days to be healed, but not on the Sabbath. You hypocrites! Any one of you would untie his ox or his donkey and take it out from the stall to give it water on the Sabbath. Now here is this descendant of Abraham whom Satan has kept in bonds these 18 years. Should she not be released on the Sabbath? Why would you make that woman suffer another day? <laughs> you, 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 you get the point. It, it's, it's the whole concept of the freedom that we have in Christ in this world to be Jesus. It's around today. Legalism is. People like to make rules, and they point fingers at us. I usually don't talk much about this, but... I had a pastor friend that's gone now that first came into this community 15, 10, 15 years ago. His elder was riding him around in the car, and they come around the square, and they went by crossroads. And The elder put his hand on the pastor's shoulder, and he said, you need to stay away from them people. They make it too easy to come to Jesus. Yeah, so we should build walls. We should make it difficult. We should make it so difficult that that it's, it's almost impossible to accept Christ and experience his freedom. I, I don't know if you know what tracks are. Some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. Uh, there was a track one time and on the cover, here's the, pro- I, get, I get in bed sometimes for saying stuff. Here's the problem that I have with tracks. I think it's much better if we give this track to somebody personally. It sends me through the roof to go in bathrooms of restaurants and filling stations. I call them filling stations. I don't know what anybody calls them anymore. And here laying on the back of a stool or on a urinal is a tract. That disgusts me. And people say, well, yeah, well, they might find Jesus there or whatever. Yeah, well, they might find something else. But nonetheless... I think it's better if you, and I've left tracks on with people before, and I've, I've left it in a more respectable, but that's just a deal with me. I don't think that's the way to present the gospel, but some might. If that's your way, if I've offended you, I apologize, but I'm just telling you my point. There's one that says this on the front cover, Jesus says don't. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus says don't. The God of do's and don'ts. You open it up and inside there's a list of 40 things that you shouldn't do. And they have put scripture references beside them. Don't have long hair if you're a man. Don't wear gold or pearls. Jesus says don't believe those who teach anything not found in the King James Version. Jesus says don't tell jokes or act the clown or use puppets to explain the word of God. If that be the case, I'm out of a job. But, I'd like to see the text on that. 
Don't say no when you're asked for money. Jesus says, don't save and collect goods or money for greed and old age. Jesus says, don't join the armed forces to offend the country. Jesus says, don't use unions to sell or ask for wage increase. Jesus says, don't forget you're saved by works after conversion. And the list goes on and on and on. That's legalism to me. Paul wrote the book of Galatians to say, don't become a perfectionist and don't become a legalist where rules and regs make up your Christian life. There's a bumper sticker that says a Christian isn't perfect, he's just forgiven. I believe that's the truth. What's the results of legalism? Galatians 4. Whenever you find legalism in your life, you're going to find this inevitable result. Galatians 4.15. What has happened to all your joy? Where's that smile? Where's that sense of peace? It's all gone. You've been made to believe that if you mess up and go outside one step, and it brings that tremendous like a dump truck load of guilt. Legalists are seldom happy, and they're always critical. They're always looking for what's wrong. You realize that the law was meant to bring death so Jesus could bring salvation. It never was meant to keep us saved or to save us. Paul said, what happened to your joy? Galatians 5.14, this is what we're supposed to look at. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, if you could summarize the whole Bible, what would you say? Here's, where, here's his words. Simple. If you want to summarize the whole Bible, here it is. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian life, my friends, is based on relationships. It's my relationship to God. Do I love God? It's my relationship to my neighbor, my fellow man. Do I love people? If I love God and other people, it's encapsulated the entire word of God from cover to cover. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But I think the difficult part for us is going out and living that, loving God and loving others. That's, there's a lot in between there, but nonetheless, nonetheless that's what he says. Summarizes it all. Are there not any rules for life? Of course there are. Galatians 5.13, Paul gives this strict warning. Don't use your freedom to indulge your selfish nature. Don't use your freedom to do what the old nature wants to do. It's not talking about license, it's talking about liberty. There's one other trap that we're going to look at next week. But you and I have to find our purpose in God's kingdom, our own path. You cannot follow anyone else's. God has no grandchildren. You're either a son or a daughter. He has no grandkids, absolutely none. So when it comes down to our path in life, we, we have to follow the path that God has laid out for us. The problem is, and, and I've heard this before, we talked about parents last time and how much we learned from this and how they set our course, so to speak. There are some folks that were raised in a strictly legalistic home, and they have brought that into the kingdom with them. They've been told that they've got to follow these rules and regs or they're going to go to hell. But we have to, at one point in our life, 
come to that place. It's just us and Christ, and we have to understand the path that he has set for us. Here's a clip entitled The New Legalism. I thought it was kind of interesting. Maybe we can get something out of it. Let's watch. In the old days, there was a real, like some of you grew up in churches where the legalism was really, really clear. Here's what it was. You could go into someone's refrigerator and you would know exactly whether they were legitimate Christian or not a legitimate Christian by what was in their fridge. Because if they had beer or wine, they were clearly on the road to hell, no questions asked, right? That was just clear. If you showed up at a party and someone was dancing, you would go, oh my goodness, I think they've been reading the satanic Bible rather than the real Bible. They say they're Christians, but I think they're just wolves in sheep's clothing, all right? Because I saw them, <laughs> didn't look like that, but whatever. I saw them dancing, I saw beer in the fridge, and I think I might have seen them at the movie theater, which means all together we know they don't really love Jesus. That's how some of you were raised. That was, those were the rules, all right? That was the burden. Now, we've come so far away from that stuff that we laugh at it. We think it's, oh my goodness, how silly are those people? But all we've done is replaced it with a new kind of legalism. The kind of legalism that's created a new list. You wanna know what's on the list? Being rich. Now, I can tell if you're a legitimate disciple, not by what's in your fridge, by, but by what you drive and how expensive your home is. And if it's too expensive, you shouldn't bother signing up for Christianity because it's really not for you. This is where zeal goes. And if you're not uh, 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 revolutionary enough, meaning if you don't go move from the suburbs, move your family down into the inner city and make sure that you're tutoring at-risk children, if you don't do that, you're not a Christian. Don't even bother signing up. You're not revolutionary enough. You're not crazy love enough. You don't give it all up. You're not gospel-centered enough. If you don't use the word gospel in at least three sentences... Every hour, I mean, you can attend, but don't expect to lead. You gotta make sure your theology is perfect, that you use these words, that your car comes between this expensive and this expensive, that your house is this kind of square footage. We've created a new legalism, man. We've just swapped out the beer in the fridge for the square footage of a house. And we have become, what one scholar says, accidental Pharisees. We have slipped into it and we start to judge our brothers and sisters based on what they, how they look. And all we've done is swapped it out. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, you know what his problem was? He was rich. I mean, he was, he was the triple threat of bad dudes. He was rich. He was powerful. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the 72 Jewish leaders at that time. So he was politically involved. And he was a secret disciple. John says he was a secret disciple. He was so obsessed with his power and his money that he never even told anyone that he loved Jesus. This guy would, if I met, if you came into my office and you were him, I would use you the next Sunday and go, this is the problem with Christianity today. Right? I'd be like, this guy came in, he was rich. He was powerful and a secret disciple. He was so afraid to lose his power and his money. He didn't even tell anybody. He just, oh, I don't know. I don't even know Jesus. Gonna burn. And yet, 
Jesus uses them. It gives me great pause before I start burning people and labeling people and judging people and telling God who he can use and who he can't use. I pray that none of us has lapsed <laughs> into legalism, but you kind, of, you kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. And I don't know where you're at in your faith walk. God does. Maybe you're not, haven't made any connection yet, but I always pray that you do before you leave this place. And if you need to know how to do that, you come up here and we'll show you or you can accept Christ right in your seat. Or maybe you are here this morning and God's distant and you think maybe he, he's forgotten you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this clip, another clip this morning from Tony Evans. I want you to listen to what he says and to take it to heart because this message is for you. You know how it is when you feel like God has forgotten about you? When you feel like God has, has, has left you alone and just forgot, left you to rot. I have a plan for you, saith the Lord. It is a plan for good and not for calamity. God is saying he's up to something great. He's up to something wonderful. He's up to something spectacular. If you will but yield to him and make him your passion, he will show you his plan. That's what he said. I don't know all the points Satan has up against you. I don't know all the people who want to keep you hopeless. I don't know how long you've been in scenario, but I do know that somebody will, will make the final decision about how things are going to turn up. But now you find yourself in a hopeless situation and things are not going well. But what he wants you to know that since you've met him, you can go through those circumstances with a smile. You can go through that cleaning with a smile. You can take care of your business even in a bad situation with a smile. Why? Because he's looking for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a goal for you. And when that connection is made, you'll be saying, it was worth it. I'd do it all over again because some things are worth the wait. God is up to something great.